Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO as we have the chance to study especially the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because the resurrection and that common confession of faith are Concord Matters. Here on Concord Matters today, we get to celebrate our Easter special in 2021. I am guest host Peter Ill, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, sitting in for Sean Smith, who will be returning soon. And joining us today for East, uh, for Concord Matters for the Resurrection is Pastor Merritt Dembski from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Pastor Dembski, it is wonderful to have you back with us today. It's good to be here. Uh, so... Some Christians would say that it might be a bit redundant to have a day set aside to be the festival of the resurrection. Why is it that we need a day to celebrate the resurrection? Shouldn't we do that every day? Well, uh, we certainly remember Christ's resurrection every day. We remember our baptisms every day. We we pray every day. We do a lot of things every day. And yet um, Jesus did rise on a particular day. And so we remember and we celebrate that he rose on a particular day. It actually happened in history that he rose again from the dead. He went into a tomb on a Friday and rose on the first day of the week. And so we gather as Christians and we have that same cycle for ourselves as we go through that week leading up to what we call Good Friday and then Easter Sunday morning celebrating the resurrection. So it's almost like we get to uh, relive out the expectation, the anticipation of what happened on that particular day, even though every Sunday when we're praying and we're singing and we're going through the liturgy, we talk about remembering that on this day, Christ rose again from the dead because we remember and we gather because on the first day of the week, he rose from the dead. So, you know, Christians have been gathering for their set apart day of the week on the first day of the week when Christ rose. But in the course of a year, we still have a day that's that's set aside to really focus on that entirely. So you could kind of say that each Sunday is an Easter Sunday, but then Easter Sunday is a really big Easter Sunday. Yeah, you get Easter Sundays and then Easter's Easter Sundays. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, so as we get to think about the Book of Concord and our Lutheran confessions that help us to clarify what it is that we believe, teach, and confess, what are some of the main and most helpful parts of the Book of Concord? as we see that Concord matters for Easter. Well, anytime we pick up the Book of Concord, we remember that this is put together to articulate what we confess about Scripture. So it's not as though we have this Book of Concord, this wonderful thing, oh yeah, and this Scripture stuff as well, but we, we see how the Book of Concord articulates what we see shared in the Scriptures to say, here's what we believe, teach, and confess as Christian people. And so... Um, if depending on what edition of the Book of Concord and stuff you have, there's often a an index in the back that has words and uh, different topics that you can find throughout. And you can find, uh, well, the creeds, of course, 
talk about it. So the creeds articulated in there, uh, the Augsburg Confession and the Apology talk about uh, both our resurrection and Christ's physical resurrection from the dead. Um, you've got references in the small card articles, the small catechism, of course, um, the large catechism, and um, the uh, formula of Concord. So you've got different places where it's extra focused on as a point of we need to be unified on this because this is actually the whole reason we're here as Christian people. Um, not that there was a nice guy named Jesus who told us to be nice to people, but that he said he was going to rise from the dead and he actually did and he's still alive. And so we are Christians, not who go to visit a filled tomb with a body, but we are Christians. We are people who celebrate one who rose from the dead. So there is no uh, filled tomb. There is an empty tomb that had Christ's body, but now he is risen again, ruling and reigning over all things. And it's not just that Jesus is a guy who rose from the dead, but Jesus is God who died and God who rose from the dead. Not that it's God the Father that died or God the Father that rose from the dead, but Jesus is fully and completely God, and he died, and he rose from the dead. Seems like something we should probably agree on, right? And I think we do. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, that's, and that's part of what some of these articles dealing with this are talking about. So, I'm sorry, um, some of the points that are brought up in the Book of Concord are specifically articulating that, that this is true God and true man that rose again from the dead. It's not as though... It was only his divine part that rose and his physical human part didn't or something, because then where would our hope be? What would be the point of any of this if, okay, that's nice that God died and God rose, but he was separated and he's two separate people or something. It's like, nope, he's 100% God and 100% man. And that 100% God and 100% man went to the cross to pour out his blood for his people and for all the nations. And he also has risen again from the dead to uh, give life to all. So where in the Book of Concord is a good place to start talking about this resurrection mattering? Well, we can look at the, um, here, let me see here. I wrote notes, but they're not helpful if you can't see what you needed to see on them. <laughs> if your notes are like my notes, the goal is to always keep them legible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, well, if we look at the Augsburg Confession, the third article in the Augsburg Confession, uh, talks about the Son of God. And so um, it's so you've got the, the reformers gathering together specifically to say, we are not teaching anything unique or different than what Scripture teaches. And so even though in the Book of Concord, you've got the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed all very front in the book, in the confessional writings of the the reformers, you have them referring to that specifically to say, we are unified on this. We are not making any claims outside of what the church has taught. And so um, they specifically, the, the Son of God article says, our churches teach that the word, uh, that is the Son of God, John 1.14, assumed the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably joined in one person. This, uh, there is one Christ, true God and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, truly suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. He did this to reconcile the Father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of mankind, John 1.29. He also descended into hell and truly rose again on the third day. 
Afterward, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. There he forever reigns and has dominion over all creatures. He sanctifies those who believe in him by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. He defends them against the devil and the power of sin. The same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead and so forth according to the Apostles' Creed. So I like how you have that truly a number of times. We're not talking about a kind of sort of resurrection in a spiritual or metaphorical sense, but he truly died. He truly came. He truly rose. And very clearly, it talks about how, according to both natures, Jesus died. Mm-hmm. And in both natures, he rose from the dead. And so, I know that in the course of church history, there have been some who've taught that Jesus bodily died. But then, when he rose, he was only God, and the humanity, his human nature, stopped existing. And our Lutheran confessions completely stand against that, right? Right. So we've got the fact that you have, uh, I can't remember, what what passage is it that says that he assumed humanity into the divinity? What's, the Athanasian Creed. There we go, yeah. So um, you've got this articulation that God has taken humanity into himself, in order to redeem us, and he didn't stop doing that. He he perfected that, and we, we don't have um, two separate Jesuses that we're dealing with. Uh, we've got one Jesus who died and rose again and um, is the first one to do it so that we look forward to that same resurrection ourselves. Somebody was talking with me recently and was trying to be cute, um, and they referred to they referred to Jesus resurrected from the dead as zombie Jesus, and mm-hmm. I and I realized that that probably hit some people wrong. To be honest, it hit me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this person, I was able to stop and say, "Hey, let's maybe not refer to Jesus as zombie Jesus because he is resurrected and he is still human, fully alive, and he is still God, fully alive." And in both natures resurrected from the dead. There's no ghost Jesus, no zombie Jesus. There is Jesus alive again, Jesus. I don't understand it. It's a mystery of the faith, but what a wonderful mystery that God in the flesh really did die and really did rise again and is still really alive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That he will, he is still ruling and reigning and preparing to come in that final judgment. So we don't have this sense of um trying to figure out how to say it um that jesus is less human now or something like he is coming with that same human nature to raise up our human nature um and it's it's interesting when you talk to a lot of people um they they'll hear about the resurrection or they'll talk about the resurrection but there are people oftentimes that haven't stopped to think about the truly side of that, like actually physically rose from the dead. Um, I don't know if it's just we subtly uh, think in our minds that Jesus must have risen in some other way or that it's somehow just a metaphor. But when you start talking to people about the resurrection and our physical bodily resurrection from the dead because of his resurrection from the dead, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that were like, wow, I never really thought about that. Like, because he rose from the dead, we will actually rise from the dead. Um, and that's almost surprising to people at times. Why is that such an important part of our, of our common confession of the faith and that concord that we have? Uh, how do you mean? Say, say, say it one more time. 
you talked about how Jesus' resurrection leads us to talking about our own resurrection. So why is our own resurrection so important? Why do we dedicate time and space in the Book of Concord to that? And where in the Book of Concord do we find those kinds of things that talk about our upcoming resurrection? Well, we make a big deal out of it because Paul makes a big deal out of it. When you look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's whole point is, if you're going to say there's no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what's the point? If there's a body sitting somewhere, then all of this faith stuff is pointless. But he really did, and he really had eyewitnesses. So um, I know many churches had that passage as the epistle lesson for Easter Sunday that uh, he says, this is what I delivered first and most importantly to you, that Christ died and he rose again for our sins. This is exactly what our hope and our peace is in. Um, not just certain characteristics of Jesus or certain ways we're supposed to live as Christians uh, or certain ways we're supposed to live that, live that Jesus has told us to, but that he actually is alive, which means death has no sting for us either. Like we have no reason to be afraid of death because Jesus rose from the dead. And as Paul says in Romans um, 6, that we have been raised or in our baptism we are put to death with christ we are raised with christ we're looking forward to the resurrection and we're already walking in that new life as his people in this life and when you look at uh the small called articles there's a specific um reference to that passage just got to flip there real quick um That's why I got distracted. I was trying to flip there, and then you asked the question. I was going, oh, no, I was trying to be more seamless than, you know. <laughs> These things happen in live recordings. Right. Absolutely. Um, so when we read about this, let's see here. Where is it? Um, in the small called articles, you've got, there it is, the, the first part that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in one divine essence and nature, Matthew 28, 19, are one God who has created heaven and earth, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. The Father is begotten of no one. The Son is begotten of the Father, John 1, 14. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, John 15, 26. Neither the Father nor the Holy Spirit, but the Son became man, John 1, 14. The Son became man in this manner. He was conceived without the cooperation of man by the Holy Spirit, Luke 1, 34-35, and was born of the pure virgin uh, Mary. Afterward, he suffered, died, and was buried, descended to hell, rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, ascended into heaven, Acts 1, 9-11, sits at the right hand of God, Acts 2, 33, will come to judge the quick and the dead, and so on, as the apostles and Athanasian creeds of our children's catechism teach. Uh, concerning these articles, there's no argument or dispute. Both sides confess them. Therefore, it's not necessary now to discuss them further. But rooting this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, as we're, we're looking through there, that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then who's interceding for us with the Father? If he didn't actually rise, then what hope do we have in a resurrection if we are baptized into his resurrection? And that's not true. So uh, most of the times when it comes up in the book of Concord, it's tied to that final judgment that he's alive and he's returning for the final judgment, that he is, um, that he is the one who is risen from the dead and we are baptized into his resurrection. 
As we celebrate Easter, there's kind of this idea that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But one of the things that that is really helpful about what you're saying is when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it's not just that Jesus did it, but it's that Jesus died to deliver us from our sins. He rose from the dead to prove that he has done it, and he delivers the very same thing to us, that we have the same everlasting life that he has, and that we participate in his eternal salvation forever. And so when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about an abstract, disconnected God in the flesh, but we're talking about God in the flesh for us, who comes to bring us to where he is. Uh, Kind of like how John 14 talks, right, about uh, Jesus says, why would I go prepare a place for you if I weren't going to to come back and bring you to where I am, right? Right. Right. And he is still doing this work for us. And we have you know, all the passages talking about his intercession for us, his, um, his work on our behalf for, uh, with the father. And so, especially over the last year, it's, it's amazing to think of what, what difference there is when death is not something that we actually fear. I mean, if Jesus has actually risen from the dead, never to die again, and he's the first fruits of the one to do that, and that gift has been, that promise has been delivered to us, then, uh, like that first Corinthians 15 passage says, then death has no sting. Like we actually get to walk through this life, not afraid of everything that could happen to us and maybe will happen to us, but we actually get to walk through this life in that peace that fits around our feet. Um, when we talk about the, the, the armor of God, I often talk about how we've got the gospel of Christ that fits around our feet to give us peace. So uh, we don't have to worry about walking on glass or nails, you know, if we've got shoes on or even worse, a Lego piece, you know, <laughs> we don't have to worry about walking on any of that um, when we've got normal shoes on. And when we walk through this life, we don't actually have to worry and have anxiety and concern because the greatest issue that we could ever run into, death, has been taken care of. Since Jesus is raised from the dead, and since we can't really die again, then what's the big deal? Where is the harm and the hurt, the trials and the tribulations? As inconvenient as they might be, it's not like they can put us ultimately to death. Right, exactly. And so like when you look at the large catechism and you're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and how that's all being fleshed out of um, our resurrection from the dead. We actually have greater peace knowing that because of his resurrection, we have resurrection. So there's not a matter of if we are able to do enough, but it's a matter of the Holy Spirit is delivered to us to have faith, to trust this promise, and is delivered to us in order to actually come alive again one day. Go ahead. Jesus' bodily resurrection is fleshed out. I see what you did there. That was good. I know. Well done. I have a tough time not thinking about that at at Christmas time when we talk about the incarnation, that all this stuff about God gets fleshed out because it's the incarnation. And indeed, our Lord Jesus Christ, fleshed out, is the one who died and rose and who, who has done something for us and 
so it's not just that we get together with our Easter dresses and our Easter hats and whatever other Easter accounterments that we wear, but that we celebrate this is what Jesus has actually done for us. It means something for us, and we appreciate that and take that to be what it is. Absolutely. Um, so I, what a wonderful thing to be able to celebrate. Um, during the during my Easter sermon this past weekend, I, I emphasized that point that we aren't raising our voices in celebration because we got a new list of rules of how we can save ourselves. We raise our voice in celebration because the one who promised to consume death in Isaiah 25, um, the one who promised to consume death and give us uh, the, the best of the best feast actually did it. That he gives us that feast of his body and blood each week, the foretaste of the feast to come. And at the same time, he is he has consumed death on that mountain. He consumed it, destroyed it, and yet we look forward to seeing the death and destruction of death in the fullness with our own eyes on that last day. When tears will be wiped away, um, there will be no more sorrow or pain or suffering because death won't be a thing. We won't, uh, you know, the Kleenex brand will go out of business because there will be no more tears to be had. Um, we will simply be together with the one who raised, um, who was raised and who took his life back up. And so, you know, in the large catechism, we hear, uh, but how does he accomplish this? Or what are his method means to this end of sanctifying us, making us holy? Answer by the Christian church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. For in the first place, the spirit has his own congregation in the world, which is the mother that conceives and bears every Christian through God's word. Through the word, he reveals and preaches. He illumines and enkindles hearts so that they understand, accept, cling to, and preserve, and are preserved, in, or sorry, persevere in the world. Um, so he gives us the spirit to continue holding on to that promise um, that we're not just simply brought in by a one-time hearing of the word and then we're good, but we're constantly at war in this world. We're constantly being told to fear death, to fear all these things around us. And yet God is faithful to continue to give us his Holy Spirit to have life and to trust his promises. And that most recent passage that you read, where was that from? Uh, that was in the large catechism that's uh, uh, starting around the 41st line on page 403 of the uh, Concordia Lutheran Confessions Reader's Edition. Of the all right. Concord. There, we've do got all to, the citation stuff done. Do you want a serial number? No, I'm good. Oh, Thanks. Okay. okay. Uh, but for those who are listening at home, sometimes it's easy to, y you hear something and then you end up with, well, the Book of Concord says in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but... I guess we had talked before about where we would go in the Book of Concord to think about these things. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so, for the Christian sitting at home with their Book of Concord, saying, oh, I'd like to read from the Confessions about Easter, um, we've talked a little bit about the Augsburg Confession in Article 2. We've talked a, lot, a little bit about the Small Cult Articles, um, the first part, um, that has one of the just the greatest titles in all of the Book of Concord, the awe-inspiring articles of, on the Divine Majesty, <laughs> that really talk about the incarnation, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And then you've talked also about the Apostles' Creed section of the large catechism. But what about the small catechism? What When we get into the, especially maybe the 
second article of the Creed in the small catechism, when it talks about Jesus truly is our Lord, how does that pertain to the resurrection and what does that have to say to us as Easter Christians? So in the small catechism, when we're talking about Jesus being our Lord, um, he's one who still rules. He is still the king. Um, He's not one who was a great king once before, but he is one who still reigns. So in the second article of the Creed, uh, we ask, you know, what does this mean, the second article? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. He did this not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death, so that I may be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. So even if you don't have the the big book of Concord at home and you've got the the small catechism at home. Did you call it the big cookbook book of Concord? It started to come out wrong and I thought I caught myself, but if it came out that way, then Okay, the big book of Concord. There we go. Yeah, the big book of Concord. Um, If you don't have that and you've only got the small catechism and you have the second article, I mean, you'd have the second article sitting in there if it's the small catechism, but, you know, um, then you can see this uh, so quickly that he is my Lord, not was my Lord, not at some point in the past, but he currently is the one who is my king. Uh, I actually just talked to someone this morning after Bible study that it had never clicked with them thinking about Jesus being king or Lord, um, that we live in an American society with democratic process and all these kind of things. We have presidents and Congress and, and the people we put in authority, ideally, are people that we've, we've voted for and all that kind of stuff. And so we've got such a voice in all of this. And yet, if you live under a monarchy, the person is the king because they're the king. And what they say is the way it is. And we just don't always put that together. And yet, as Christians, we say, even if we live in the society we live in, the way we live in it, our king actually is greater than any of this. And we listen to his instruction above and beyond anything else. So he is, he is my Lord and he has redeemed me and purchased me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. So in thinking about his death and resurrection, purchasing us, like, and it was with his own blood. So I, I always love the passage in Acts 20 where Paul's talking with the, uh, the Ephesian elders and he talks about, watch out for the sheep that you've been placed over that God purchased with his own blood. That he went to that cross knowing exactly what was going to happen and he came to serve rather than to be served. And he did that to purchase us from death itself and from all of our sins. And he did it with his own blood. And so now we want to live under him in his kingdom that is continuing on. It's not under new management. It's still under his management forever. And we want to be there in a right standing under him with innocence. So we're not guilty of anything. We're not looking over our shoulder, wondering what's going to happen and blessed blessedness. So that we're not, uh, uh, condemned and, and facing trials and hardships, but we're actually blessed and that we will be raised from the dead just as he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. 
I would like to talk more about that just as he has risen from the dead. But before we do that, it's a good time for us to take a break. And so we'll take a short break and we will be back here on Concord Matters because Concord Matters for Easter. Uh, Pastor Dembski, it's wonderful to have you with us again. I'm still guest host, Pastor Peter Ill, and we look forward to seeing and hearing you back in just a few minutes. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word every weekday from 11 to noon. We will receive the gift of God's Word and Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, where I, Pastor Peter Ill, and Pastor Merritt Dembski are visiting because Concord Matters and our common confession of faith for the festival of Easter really matters. It changes things, not just things, us, because it takes us from the world of being sinners and makes us just like Jesus is. Uh, on the first half of the program today, we were talking about the Apostles' Creed and the second article of the Apostles' Creed as it's confessed in the small catechism. So you can find that in your hymnal starting around page 324 um, in the Lutheran service book, or you can find it in your small catechism or in your uh, Book of Concord or wherever these great things are found. But, Pastor Dembski, you had mentioned that we talked about believing that our Lord Jesus Christ, true God, you know, begotten from the Father from all eternity, has redeemed us by his precious suffering and death. But then, this, in the words of Dr. Luther, it concludes that we live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead. And so, in what way is it appropriate for us as Easter Christians to say, we're just like Jesus? Well, we're just like Jesus because we have been baptized into Christ, so his perfection now covers all of our imperfection. His blood washes away our sins. We are robed in the robe of Christ's righteousness, all these phrases. Um, we are not God, of course, and we are not little gods or anything like that. We don't have the power to create and, you know, those kind of things. But, uh, or create from nothing and, you know what I mean. But um, we uh, we are made perfect in the eyes of God. We're adopted into God's family through his son. And so, therefore, we get to celebrate that we go to God as our father because of what Christ has done, because of the washing that has taken place, because of the forgiveness that has taken place. He now, uh, we now are like Christ in that way. So we, we, you know, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so we strive to walk in love, love of the love of God and love of others. And we celebrate that because we are baptized into Christ, um, we put away all the old stuff of life. We don't live, well, as John says, we don't live in the darkness anymore. We live in the light. We're in the light of Christ. Uh, Paul in Romans says we don't walk in death anymore with death being our paycheck for sin. Instead, we walk as 
new resurrected people looking forward to the resurrection on the last day, but that life is already given to us and is already ours. And so we, we get to celebrate that we are like Christ in this way, that we are the father's sons through this adoption that has been given to us, one for us in what Christ did on the cross. Um, in our Wednesday morning study, we've been going through Leviticus and we were just talking about the Day of Atonement today and how big of a deal it was with the, the blood being um, sprinkled on the, the mercy seat and, and the high priest doing what he would do to atone for his sins and for the sins of the people and the goats being sacrificed or uh, sent away and how we remember that as Christ was on the cross, we don't have all of we don't have any of that anymore because his blood has perfectly atoned for us. So we're no longer these um, separate strangers to God. We are uh, sons with the Spirit crying out to God as Abba, Father. And so um, that's how we get to celebrate that Easter makes us like Jesus as we get to call out to God as our own Father uh, because of his work for us. And I think you just jumped from Leviticus, probably about Leviticus 14-ish. Um, is that where the Day of Atonement? 16. 16. I, I, I was come pretty on, close. Come on, you should know that, oh. like, right off the top of the <laughs> I was within a couple chapters. Uh, So you move from Leviticus 16 to Romans 8, where we have the same spirit of Christ crying out, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even in this conversation, we're talking about quotations from the Book of Concord, but we're never moving away from or beyond Scripture. We're we're saying the same thing Scripture says. We're just collecting them in, in a systemized and organized way. That's what our confessions and our creeds do, not because we're trying to say anything new, not at all. Rather, we're saying the same thing that scripture says, we're just organizing it in a different way um, so that we can find it when we have questions like, well, how is it that our confessions talk about Easter? Oh, we go and talk about the, the resurrection of dead in the of the dead in the second article of the creed. But when we get to the second article of the creed, there's there's a a lot of times something that comes up um, among the Christians that I get to serve, and maybe the Christians you serve too, where all of a sudden they'll be confessing in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell. And all of a sudden there's this look of, what in the world is all that about? Do our Lutheran confessions speak about Jesus' descent into hell and what's important for us to know about that? Yeah, in the... Solid Declaration, the Formula of Concord, the uh, ninth article, it talks about specifically the descent of Christ to hell. Um, And it's a pretty short article. It says, even in the ancient Christian teachers of the church, as well as among some of our teachers, different explanations of the article about Christ's descent to hell are found. Therefore, we abide in the simplicity of our Christian faith. Dr. Luther's pointed pointed us to this in a sermon about Christ's descent to hell, which he delivered in the castle at Torgau in the year 1533. In the creed, we confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended to hell. In this confession, Christ's burial and descent to hell are distinguished as different articles. We simply believe that the entire person, God and man, descended into hell after the burial, conquered the devil, destroyed hell's power, and took from the devil all his might. We should not, however, trouble ourselves with high and difficult thoughts about how this happened. With our reason and our five senses, 
This article can be understood as little as preceding one about how Christ is placed at the right hand of God, God's almighty power and majesty. We are simply to believe it and cling to the word. So we hold to the substance and consolation that neither hell nor the devil can take captive or injure us and all who believe in Christ. And I like how the, the conclusion there states why this actually matters to us, that it's not just information, it's not just details about Jesus, but it's we simply believe it and cling to it. We hold to this consolation that, the, that hell and the devil cannot take us captive or injure us. So as we are in Christ, they have no power. And he has descended into hell. In 1 Peter 3, we hear about him descending into uh, the place of the dead, the place where the spirits are who have uh, rebelled against God, um, in this place of victory, in this position of victory, to, um, well, have the victory prayed kind of thing to say. Proclaiming to the spirits in prison, I, right. I think, is the words of 1 Peter 3. Right, right. Um, that's especially verses 18, and 18 through 20, I think. Right, right. So you, you have his proclamation that God won, that death has been defeated. And so you get this as a consolation to us, not just a, I told you so, or something like that, but that Jesus is actually coming to say this to give us peace, knowing that that hell and the devil have no more power. It's striking here that the formula of Concord and Dr. Luther in his Torgau sermon don't talk about how Jesus went to hell to suffer. Instead, they say Jesus went to hell to overthrow it. Jesus went to hell not to suffer, but to but to fight, to conquer, to prove to the devil and to prove to those who were imprisoned there that he really has won. He really has conquered sin and death and hell. And there is no more need for the place of the dead for those who believe in him. And so, just as kind of bridging back to those thoughts from the second article of the Apostles' Creed in the small catechism, we are raised from the dead just like Jesus is raised from the dead, and we don't have to worry about ourselves as believers in Christ descending to the to hell, because Jesus said, for you who are in me, for you who are with me, for you who are baptized into my death and resurrection, I didn't need hell. I didn't go to hell to suffer. I just want to make sure that they knew that you weren't coming. Um, and to show my victory over death and hell. And you are just like me. You have a place with me and in me forever because I am risen from the dead. And so this idea of Jesus being risen from the dead and Jesus descending into hell are for us really linked together and tied together because we don't suffer we simply get to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us, and there is no hell for us because Jesus has overthrown it. Right, exactly. I, and once again, it's one of those things, if you actually stop to think about what we're saying, uh, there's always the accusation that uh, liturgical settings lead to mindlessness or you're not thinking about what you're saying, which, of course, any setting can lead to that. When you're doing something or saying something regularly, you can you can get robotic about it. But the point is not to be robotic as much as to have it so ingrained that you know these words. And we do have to be intentional about meditating on them and reflecting on them and understanding the, the, the reality that they are relaying to us, that we are not... Um, people who are still bound to the fears and anxieties and concerns of this world, but we are actually now 
purchased from all of it and are citizens of a different kingdom. We're citizens with a different ruler who's actually good and merciful and just. We're citizens of a king who forgives us and gives us life. And so we get to celebrate that there is no more hell for us. We get to praise God as all the alleluias come back on Easter Sunday after Lent, after this period of reflecting on our sin, our need for a savior, and um, and for a period of time, catechesis, looking at how um, we are to... Um, uh, what we believe is Christian people. And we get to bring back the alleluias and say, praise God that all that sin, all that stuff that is in me that is so horrible has all been taken by Christ. Um, of course, I didn't write this down. It just came to me right now. The, the hymn, uh, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. Uh, I always love the phrase in there that says, uh, ye who think of sin but lightly, you know, look at the cross. That's how that's how devastating sin is. That's who had to get nailed to the cross. God's own son. And so we get to celebrate together that in Christ's resurrection, our possibility of death has been eliminated. And so we get to have that continual thought of Jesus didn't think lightly of our sins. Jesus thought so highly. No, not highly. Jesus thought so severely about our sins that he suffered and died. And then he rose again. And we too, now that our sins are forgiven, have this promise of eternal and everlasting life. So how does the Book of Concord teach us that we are to continue on as Easter people? And what kind of hopes and expectations should we have as Christians moving forward for ourselves? Now that we've established that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he's done this for us and that we are just like he is, then what? Or now what? Well, and when you look at the, the small and large catechism, you've got the explanation of the Ten Commandments being the, not only the the fact that it's a mirror that shows our sin, our need for a savior, but it shows us here's what life looks like as God's people, even as it was given in Exodus 20 to God's people saying, I've taken you out of slavery. Now here's what life looks like. And so we, we still face trial and tribulation. We still face um, sorrows and suffering in this world, praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And yet we have instruction of how to live loving God and loving others um, in the passages, of course, that that are uh, that pull from that but you get all of that uh, nicely stated in the um, in the small and large catechism and, and really uh, teased out in its fullness and so uh, we we walk as Easter people always looking forward to that final judgment oftentimes when we talk about the final judgment it's like oh why would we want judgment but at the same time that means that all of the unjust things, all of the wickedness, all of the sin that surrounds us will be washed away. And we don't have to be worried about being part of what gets washed away because we're in Christ. And so in his resurrection, we don't have the the concern anymore hearing about his judgment. We're always living as people who are uh, in repentance and faith, but we get to pray that his final judgment would come so that we would get to see that resurrection of the dead in its fullness on the last day. Um, and so anytime you're going through the, the book of Concord and you get to um, the, the Lord's Supper 
or any any of the you know the formula or the the cre uh, the Augsburg Confession anything talking about the gifts that God gives that it is truly His body and blood forgiving your sins not someone else but it's still Him doing this work for us so even as we walk through this life when we face the difficulties we get to have peace and comfort knowing that our God is still coming to us, delivering his gifts to us, and knowing that um, having risen from the dead, he will come back with that judgment to raise us up and to change us, as Paul says, from these um, perishable bodies into the imperishable and to bring his glory in its fullness. We had talked before that death is no longer something that we as Christians need to fear. But in those times when we are afflicted with temptation or concern, where is it that we can go for comfort that death has already been conquered and there's no, there's no challenge and no death for us? What gifts has God given us to uh, remind us that we are his? And how, how is it that God in the here and now provides this certainty for us? Well, we we mentioned the Lord's Supper, that he's got this altar where he gives his very body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and life everlasting. We are reminded every day, whether it's uh, simply in conversation or whether we're, um, you know, we make the sign of the cross remembering our baptism into Christ. Um, not only it's called to live a new life, but it's reminder that we have been given new life and therefore we live a new life. Um and we also have the continued sharing of his word, that we no longer um, have to have our consciences burdened by our sins, but we, get, we, have, we have pastors that can share that word of God to give peace to our consciences, to bring that forgiveness, and um, to share it to give us life everlasting. So when we talk about baptism and absolution and the Lord's Supper, these are all connected with Easter. We can't take any of these these gifts of grace or the way that grace is conveyed to us and say, well, that's not really an Easter thing. But every time we remember our baptism, every time we receive the forgiveness of our sins, every time we get to receive the Lord's Supper, we get to say, oh, that's an Easter for me. Um, and that kind of brings us back to where we started with this idea that Every Sunday is an Easter. Every Sunday when we remember our baptism in that baptismal name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Every time that we hear our sins forgiven in the divine service. Every time we have the opportunity to receive the Lord's Supper, we're being the Easter people that God has made us. And looking forward with a hopeful confidence that Easter continues. Even those Sundays in the middle of the Lenten season, they're little Easter's too. We don't set aside our Easter in the middle of Lent. Uh, Easter breaks in, and there it is. Uh, I also think it's it can be helpful sometimes when we talk about the Lord's Supper to remember that the Lord's Supper talks about this is Jesus risen body and blood being given to us. It's not just that this is his body and blood that didn't die and that didn't rise, but this is Jesus' body and blood completely the way he is, and that means this is the the dead and risen body. This is the dead and risen blood for us from our Savior connecting us with his Easter. And we can't divide. I realize it sounds like we're going in circles, but we can't divide our 
our experience and Jesus' experience, because Jesus has brought us in and pulled us into his experience. Reminds me of a piece of artwork that I've seen recently. Um, has uh, Jesus in a cemetery uh, digging up a grave and pulling somebody up out of the grave. I think it's. Uh, I think the name of the artist is uh, Ed Rojas. Uh, by any chance, have you gotten to see this one? I have not seen it. Oh! Uh, we will work to get that in our show notes later um, so that you can go to the website and uh, look into this show. Hopefully you can see a little bit of what that image looks like of Jesus snatching somebody by the hand and lifting them up out of the grave, because that is what Jesus has done for us with his Easter and with his own resurrection, bringing us our own resurrection too. Before we wrap up today, what else do we have um, thinking through the Book of Concord on how uh, Concord continues to matter for Easter and how Concord matters for us as Easter people? Well, when we talk about the Book of Concord, this being of one heart, being um, of one mind, being unified on stuff, it's, it's a big deal that we agree that what Christ has done, like you just said, is not separated from what we are dealing with right now. So we don't have the Lord's Supper apart from Christ's institution of it and his dying and rising. We don't have our baptism that calls us to new life as it gives us new life apart from his dying and rising. So as we look at the um, Augsburg Confession, as we look at the large catechism, as we look at all of these different chunks, seeing how they talk about baptism, the Lord's Supper, the return in judgment, um, original sin, even the fact that Christ's death and resurrection takes care of the sin that we have inherited from Adam and Eve and all that we have committed since. Um, each of those sections uh, gives us a, a great peace knowing that this actual historical event took place for us so that we have life everlasting in the one who defeated death in our place. As we get to the point where we're starting to wrap up, we've got about five minutes left in our chat today. For those Christians who say, you know, Pastor, I really like Easter, and I really like our confessions, but how do we make sure that it's not just abstract? How do we make sure that this is applicable? How are these confessional documents in the Lutheran Confessions, living documents for us. Um, I guess I'm asking, can you give us a little bit of a defense of why would we look to our confessional documents in the Book of Concord as we think about Easter? Why don't we just grab our hymnal and sing a bunch of hymns? Why are, why are we adding on to that, adding on to our Easter singing and our Easter preaching and our Easter praying, our Easter receiving of the Lord's Supper? Why have... Why have this Easter special today? Well, just the same as having the creeds. You have an articulation that people say, yes, we are unified in how we are articulating this. Because when people say, I believe the Bible, it's like, that's nice. So what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about the things we're talking about? Um, I know that there are uh, church bodies that were organized specifically to get away from doctrinal divisions and all those kind of things. But then people would say, good, because I never thought Jesus was God. They'd be like, oh, no, 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 you do have to believe that. You do have to believe that. Okay, okay, I will. 
but there's not like a Trinity thing. Oh, no, no, you do have to believe that. And when you've got the Book of Concord laying in front of you, you've got the cards laid out on the table to say, here is how we have this unity of what scripture teaches and how we articulate it to the people around us. So when someone says, well, is is that really Jesus' body and blood? Well, yes, here's what scripture says, and here's how we articulate that as we talk about it. So we don't have to try to... Um, recreate the wheel. We don't have to try to come up with something new. We have this book in front of us that beautifully lays out um, all of the, the passages and how they connect and, and, like you said before, systematizes it, puts it together in a, in a structure so that we can find the pieces. So, okay, what about original sin? Okay, here are the documents that talk about original sin. Uh, what about the Lord's Supper? Here's documents that articulate how we talk about the Lord's Supper. And as you look more at the Book of Concord and understand the historical context and why certain articles were written and what they were trying to fight against, you realize that there's nothing new in the world. I mean, the the Book of Concord was not written in a vacuum, just a whole bunch of guys deciding, hey, let's write a book. You You don't have the creeds being put together apart from trying to either combat heresy and false teaching or by trying to make sure that people are on the same page of what they uh, confess about Christ. And so with the Book of Concord, you have um, all the things that were being fought against and all the false ways that things could be said being straightened out. So we don't have to wonder, oh man, I, I see this passage and I know what I believe about it, but how do we how do we have this common vocabulary together to to talk about it and to articulate it to one another um, so that we can be built up? Uh, we see this in other areas of life. We've got systems of ways we talk about sports or movies or music or, you know, and theologically in our Christian walk, we have the creeds, we have the catechism, we've got the Book of Concord, all like... Um, you know, being as narrowed down and then kind of widening, widening the view of how we articulate what scripture confesses. So we don't have a, another document governing our lives. We simply have uh, a document or a collection of documents that help us anytime we face some of the false teachings that, uh, you know, Jesus isn't really God and man, or Jesus didn't really physically rise from the dead, or this really isn't Jesus' body and blood that you can flip to and see oh, here's what scripture teaches about it, and here's how we talk about it as Christian people together. One of the things that I appreciate about the, the, what you just said and the way that we've been talking uh, throughout this program today is it's not about trying to prove that we're right, but it's simply saying what the Bible says in in a more organized way and simply saying uh, it's in a positive sense, this is what we believe about Jesus and especially about his resurrection. Let us tell you about that. I guess it reminds me of those times when I was in school. Uh, I always got really nervous before a multiple choice test. Um, it always felt like the teacher was out to find what I didn't know. Uh, and so those questions would be there I always wanted to write a paper because there, if I get to write a paper, I get to tell the teacher what I know and to get graded on what I know, not have the teacher try to find what I don't know. Here, the Book of Concord gives us a chance to say, this is what we do believe. It's not like a, a true-false or a multiple-choice test, but rather, let us tell you about our faith. We'll use all 800 pages of this book if you let us 
to tell us, to tell you about Jesus, to tell you about how that matters to us, to tell you about how this matters for Easter, how this matters for us in Christ's church today. And so for us today in Christ's church, Easter really does matter. The hymns, the liturgies, the rites, the things that we get to do, the prayers, the baptisms, the reception of the Lord's Supper, these are wonderful things. But also getting to step back and look at our common confession and say, this is the gift of God for us. Boy, what a gift that is as we get to celebrate that Concord matters for Easter. Thank you so much, Pastor Dembski, for joining us today here on Concord Matters. Uh, Pastor Dembski is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Uh, Once again, I am Peter Ill. I get to be pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. And we look forward to the regular host of this program, Sean Smith, returning. He had taken some family time, but he's going to be back very soon. And it will be wonderful to have him as well here as Concord Matters. Because, dear Christian listener... Dear all listeners, Jesus matters for you. Easter matters for you. This common confession of faith that we share together matters, not just in general, but for you. And that is why we keep confessing, church. Church.